find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I'm going to continue with my uh, series of bad girls uh, and the men who fell for them. <laughs> That's another title of the follow-up book. Um, we, last time we were talking about um, husband hunters and trappers. Today my guest actually uh, has a plethora of bad girls who he has been involved with. Um, so today's show is called Sex Sirens, Husband Stealers, and Bad Girls Scorned, Oh my! And I'm not sure if we're going to get to all of these, uh, if all of these today. We may have to have Ken Verana back on, um, but we'll see what we can do. And um, now Ken is is uh, brave enough to be going by his that's his real name actually. Um, in the book, however, he is Nicholas, and uh, his story in the Sex Siren. Well, I'm talking about the book. I'm assuming you all. Listen every week and <laughs> and have been uh, otherwise bombarded with information about my new book called Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them, and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. And so Ken is in the Sex Siren chapter with uh, the Penthouse Pet of the Year story. In each of the 12 types of bad girls that I've identified, the dozen dangerous damsels, along with my psychological explanations of what makes these women tick and why men fall for them, I also have uh, stories from the real stories from men on the dating front. And I interviewed over 100 men, men who have dated, married, been divorced from, uh, had some kind of relationship with a bad girl and lived to tell about it. Uh, Ken is also in the chapter on husband stealers and his story there is called curiosity killed the cat and um he's also in the the story on bad on bad girls scorned and um uh <laughs> what i think what we'll do ken is um start with what we'll go chronologically and of course as you told me these are not you've been with other bad girls as well. We just, uh, there's just a limit. Otherwise, this would be the Ken Verana book. <laughs> Ken Verana and his bad girls. <laughs> so, um, so we picked some of your favorites. 
And uh, I guess what we should do is perhaps start chronologically. Um, you know, Ken is a wonderful example. There are so many of the men who I spoke to who, and, and I, described, I described you, Ken, in the description for the show. I don't know if you saw it on the voiceamerica.com website, but um, it's Meet Ken Verana, one of the 100-plus men that Dr. Carroll interviewed for her new book, Bad Girls, and so on. Though he's suave, savvy, and successful, Ken was a sitting duck for bad girls. Find out what made him vulnerable and how these bad girls wrapped him around their little fingers. You know, you illustrate one of the things that I found when I was interviewing most of the guys, and that is that, you know, you ha- you really have a lot on the outside, or even on the inside, but I mean, to... to to uh, an observer, you, it would seem as though um, you're too smart, you're too good-looking, you're too, you know, savvy to um, be wrapped around all these bad girls' fingers. And yet, you illustrate the fact that there are certain things, and I have them in my sitting duck test in the book. There are certain things that men, even you know, the coolest men. Um, have had things from their childhood, things in their current life um, that that just made them sitting ducks. That it's not just about what how things look, but it's also about the things inside that make you and and lots of other men um, vulnerable to these bad girls who have radar for spotting sitting ducks. So why don't you take it from there? Well, I, first I have to tell you I'm very flattered. You make me sound like George Clooney. <laughs> um, I should I should be so lucky as to be gorgeous and suave and, and all of that. At the same time, as I read about Nicholas, I really felt bad for him. <laughs> this poor guy just can't get it together. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know which side of this I come down on. Well, that's interesting. Be, um, yes, thrilled. what was that like? I sent all of my men who I interviewed uh, complimentary copies of the book, and, you know, yes, I, I've gotten, um, you know, generally grateful, thank you, great book kind of comments, but also this sort of, that it was it was a little strange seeing it written down, because not only did I, of course, tell the story that you told me, just as I did with everybody else, right. but I also add my little psychological insights peppered along the way. And so it's a, it's a, str- a strange kind of feeling. Tell us about that. What was that like, reading you know the stories that you told me, but with these little peppered insights. Well, it was it was odd for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is that if I had, um, I have a daughter, and but but at a time when my wife and I didn't know whether we were having a, a girl or a boy, I had decided if we had a boy that we would name him Nicholas. Oh, you're kidding! And the reason we were going to name him Nicholas was that at the time we were going to a church in the San Fernando Valley called Saint Nicholas, hmm. and I really liked that name, so. I had no idea, you know, what you were going to name me in the book, but when I first came across it and had to read three or four sentences before I realized you were talking about me, um, on that level alone, it was very unnerving. Wow. Uh, at the same time, I thought, ooh, free therapy. <laughs> this, is, this is cool. I'm saving $70 an hour. <laughs> you know, I, why, why didn't I know all this at the time? Um, but I... I um, you know, I, I got over it being unnerving fairly quickly, had a bunch of other people read the book. Hmm. Um, they immediately knew who Nicholas was, so I guess they were way smarter than I was. 
Um, but I found it very cathartic. Um, I don't know whether the nature of, of being vulnerable means that now that I know how, that I could have done this a different way, if I had it to do over again, I would have learned anything much. Um, I think I'm just a sucker when it comes to certain kinds of women. Well, uh, who were the kinds of people who you gave to read it who recognized you? Did you well, give it to I any of your girls? Or yeah, I gave it to my wife, uh, and I gave it to my girlfriend. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and I gave it to a couple of male friends of mine. And as I say, they, it took me probably a paragraph to realize it was about me. It took them about a word <laughs> to realize it was about me. Um, but I think the very thing that apparently makes me so vulnerable to certain kinds of women is that, A, what you see is what you get, and B, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Hmm. So for those people who knew who Nicholas was one or two words into it, it was because that's who Ken is, uh, and there was no attempt for me to try to spin it to either make myself look better or worse. I was just answering the questions as you ask me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um... And, of course, we'll, as you start to tell the story about the different bad girls, we'll see, um, we'll understand today um, why or what, what the main thing was that made you so vulnerable, that okay. you couldn't have changed per se. It's just that you would have gotten more insight into that right. and, and been more perhaps wary of these bad girls. But so and why I'm don't we start I'm not entirely sure that I would have wanted to change. I mean, we're all a product of our experiences. And when I tell some of my friends the stories that, you know, I mean, that, that, that knew about what I went through before the, your book ever came out, um, they're, they're like, you, this is part of your circuitry, Ken. You could not have, if, if that same girl showed up today, mm-hmm. You'd probably do the same thing again, not because you're not more aware of it now, but that you kind of had a love-hate relationship with those relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, the negative parts of them, if not outweighed by the positive parts, certainly helped to mitigate so that you would tend to go, yeah, but we had a great time, or how many guys get to date Playmate of the Year uh, and, and, you know, forgot about all of the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's how I tend to deal with, you know, I'm the, I'm the, the poster boy for if you give me lemons, I, I make lemonade. So, <laughs> Okay. So let's start chronologically, um, which would be, you know, in this list of sex siren, husband stealer, and bad girl scorned, it would be the husband stealer. Yep. Um, so why don't we start with that? Okay, great. Um, you know, I I was a writer and producer in Hollywood. I was... Wait, wait. The husband stealer goes before that. That's school. Okay, so can can you be more specific about... Wasn't the to, husband stealer with Paulette and... Oh, well, what I, who I called Paulette. You know, when you were in art school. Oh, when I was in art school, yeah. I um, uh, went to one of the top art colleges in the country, and uh, I had been dating a woman very seriously, and we ultimately got married. We were both very young at the time. Uh, I think I was probably 20, 21, and she was 19. Her parents didn't approve of the relationship and were 
certainly not thrilled when we decided to get married. But we got married. We were both going to, because of the nature of the relationship, she decided to go to the same art college I was going to after we were married because she wanted to pursue college, and this just made more sense logistically. And um, we had been together for about nine or ten months. Um, This was one of those storybook uh, relationships where the minute I saw her, I felt hopelessly in love, and uh, to give you an idea, the year before we got married, we wrote to each other when there was no such thing as email, so you had to write conventional letters every single day for a year. Hmm. So I was was in love. But I uh, met this gal in college uh, who was in one of my classes, and she was determined that she was going to do whatever she could to steal uh, me away from my wife. And the way she was going to do it was through sex. Um, my wife was, uh, if you looked in the dictionary under the word virgin, uh, when I married her, I mean, she was, was everything that that brings to mind. And this other gal who was very, very experienced thought, you know, the one thing that I can, that I can use to get this guy away from his wife is that I am very aggressive and creative sexually. I am guessing his wife is probably not, and that's what I'm going to do to try to lure him out of that relationship. Yes. Um, ultimately, she was successful in doing that. Um, she lived uh, in suburban uh, Washington, in Virginia, northern Virginia. And when I graduated, well, wait, wait, wait! Before let's not skip over the 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 uh, Photoshop, the camera store. Oh, okay. Um, at the time, do I remember I, your story better than you do? Oh well, you know. I'm getting old. Um, While I was in school, I was working part-time in a photo store in in the neighborhood. And uh, I can certainly use her name. Um, I only hope she's listening. Um, That Cindy, the the bad girl, would come into the photo shop and do everything that she could to to get my attention. Uh, My poor and ultimately long-suffering wife was in class, so obviously she wasn't there to... to, uh, mark her territory, uh, and Cindy would do everything that she could to come in and, and uh, you know, try to put this relationship together when my wife, uh, you know, really didn't have a chance to, to fight back. I mean, for, the, yes, for a while, really didn't even know what was going on. You describe it as Cindy having, uh, each time she came into the shop, which was like five or six times a day, she would have one more button unbuttoned. Absolutely. I mean, Cindy, Cindy was a very busty gal. Um, I've always liked girls that were very busty, and uh, again, being pretty intuitive, she figured that out pretty quickly. And and again, each time she came in, the skirt was a little shorter. And we're talking about uh, during the summer of peace and love, as they used to call it. Uh, and so people, you know, people's clothing was fairly abbreviated to begin with. But there was no way that you could miss Cindy coming. Her boobs came into the store about two minutes before she got there, and um, and she used that to her advantage. Okay, and? So we ultimately started sleeping together, and, of course, that created uh, enormous problems because, uh, you know, it it forced at least me, since she was single, to be sneaking around, which made me very uncomfortable and and made me feel very, very um, guilty. But it it was still strong, strong medicine. And uh, or strong attraction, and as, inco- as uncomfortable as I was, I was not uncomfortable enough to uh, 
to um, let that stop me. Yes. And well, ultimately, we, what we do need to let something stop you, though. That's the music for the break. Okay. So we do need to take a break, but I am sure everyone is hanging on those words. Um, when we come back, we'll hear more from Ken Verana. He is um, one of the men who so generously shared and is now sharing again his story of his experiences with bad bad girls so that he could help other men and uh, who uh, to not get into these same sorts of predicaments or at least have their eyes open. When we come back, we'll talk more about this, hear more about his stories, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, where I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Ken Verana, who was um, one of the men profiled in my new book, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. He was one of the more prolific <laughs> men in the book who has had experiences with um, many different bad girls. So today we're calling the show Sex Sirens, Husband Stealers, and Bad Girls Scorned, Oh My. Um, 
And if we don't get to um, all of these bad girls, we'll have Ken back on to uh, to tell us the rest of the story. We were kind of going chronologically, starting with the husband stealer. And Ken, I remember you told me, um, and I use this expression a lot, that about how a wedding ring you found a wedding ring was catnip was like catnip to uh, to bad girls. Right. Um, in this particular instance, uh, I, I think just more as a joke than anything else, when it became clear that Cindy was trying to get me to go to bed with her, I said, uh, um, you know I'm married. And she said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to marry me. I asked you if you wanted to sleep with me. Uh, and, of course, over the years I've learned that, uh, unlike a lot of men who travel the way I do, I don't take my ring off when I'm on the plane or when I'm on the road in the hopes that perhaps I might come across somebody who's interested in going out with me and I don't have to bring up the fact that I'm married. Um, I not only wear my ring, in my case, I actually wear three different wedding rings, and there's a, a cute story behind that, but um, I'm overly wedding ring <laughs> encumbered, mm-hmm. and if anything, that leads to people asking me why I have three wedding rings on. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have one from each one of my many marriages, um, which is not the case at all, uh, my daughter actually gave me one of them, and another one is a, it, it has nothing to do with any of this. Um, but, you know, it seems somehow very safe for them, especially if they're married, too, that if you're married and they're married, they are, are all about doing something uh, if they think that they're on the road as well and can get away with it because you're not unlikely to call their house three weeks later and, and create problems for them because they could call your house and create problems for you. Yes. Yes, and of course, um, as I explain in the book in terms of what makes these uh, husband stealers tick, it has to do with their com- having competed with their mother and felt like they lost in the Oedipal Triangle when they were little girls and, and didn't get as much love and attention as their mother got from their father. Right. And so every time they steal a man away from his wife, it's like um, winning the rivalry with their mother that they that they didn't win as a little girl, that's one of the main things that makes these women tick. So let's go back. Um, there you were, uh, spending more and more nights with your husband stealer. Right. And and you describe a very um, oh, a very poignant scene. I guess the last the last night, um, or one of the last nights, it was sort of the end of the relationship with your wife right. when you had. Um, stayed over at your husband Steeler's home and mm-hmm. came back and you found right we <clears throat> I went to college in uh, New York City actually in Brooklyn and they did not have conventional dormitories because it was in effect in the middle of a city so the dormitories were all high-rise buildings and we had uh, three high-rise dormitories each one was 17 floors and as it turns out, I was living on the 17th floor of one of the three dormitories. And I came home early in the morning and uh, found my wife sitting in front of her dressing mirror with her wedding dress on crying. Um, I can't begin to tell you the effect that that had on me, but to make matters worse, we had a couple of cats. Uh, actually, as I remember, two grown cats and a kitten. And while I was away doing what I thought was fun uh, and being obviously hugely insensitive to my wife, 
the kitten had jumped up on the landing of one of the windows and fallen out and fallen to its death. And my wife was reduced to having to go down to the ground floor, find the kitten's body in the uh, on the ground, um, subsequently bury it, and come back upstairs. And while I am not a hugely religious person, I've said any number of times to people, if there were one specific thing that I ever did that was going to keep me out of heaven, that was mm-hmm. probably going to be it. Uh, and to this day, and I have located her um, since then, know where she is, where she works, et cetera, et cetera, and have attempted a few times to reach out to her, um, I probably think about that no less than once a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was about as low as a person can get. I mean, obviously, I didn't didn't conspire to have the kitten fall out the window. But in those days when I was young and, and you know, it was all about me, as we do when we're that age, we're going to live forever, and lost probably one of the three most important women I would ever meet. Yes, and, and the scene that you painted of coming home and, and um, I mean, I, that's why I call the story Curiosity Killed the Cat. I mean, it was essentially your curiosity in the... In, in, in as far as this other woman, and also, I mean, for the relationship with her, the sexual things that you were able that she um, that she taught you or that she got you involved with that you weren't having at home with your wife, and all of that, the things that you were curious about, um, and then, but the scene of of your wife sitting there in her wedding dress, a mud uh, mud on her wedding dress from having been crawling in the bushes looking for the dead kitten i mean right. yes it's very sad yeah there, there are just some things that you can't get your head around mm-hmm. and i as i say to this day it was just adding injury to insult and of course i would fairly quickly learn that cindy was all about getting me away from my wife but once i did and i went so far as to move down to virginia so that uh, she and i could be together that summer when she, because she was a, a grade behind me, so she hadn't graduated yet, only to find out that all she wanted to do was to steal me away. She didn't want me. Once she stole me away, mm-hmm. I had basically burned all of the bridges relative to my, my marriage. Um, could have gone back at the time, but didn't for any number of reasons, pride probably being one of them. But, of course, Cindy was long gone and on to her next person. Mm-hmm. Her next conquest. Yep. And, um, yes, the, tell us about how your wife had come down for a weekend and then... And, yeah, and when I left, she, um, and I, there's no way to say this without sounding self-serving, but it was very clear from her actions that she was absolutely heartbroken. And one of the ways that she manifested it is that she would forward all of my mail to my new address down in Virginia, and uh, in, in part doing that, she would send the various magazines that I had subscriptions to. And she would, in three or four places in every magazine, handwrite into the uh, margins, I love you so much, I wish you'd come home, on and on and on. And at the time, again, I was so insensitive that when I saw those things, I uh, was annoyed that she was writing in my magazines. And, again, looking back, I mean, that was another person. But Mm -hmm. uh, at some point, I thought, I'm going to invite her down 
and let's just see if there's still something there. So she flew down for the weekend. It was clear when she got there that she was very excited and saw this was as the first day of the beginning of potentially a brand-new relationship. Went back, and uh, it never happened again. And I think that that was the point where uh, there was no going back, that it was just dying of its own weight. Uh, There were any number of indications that she was waiting for me to either invite her to come back uh, invite her to move down permanently or me move back to New York, but none of that happened because, of course, by that time I had a full-time job. I was was working for the White House, and I had a job of some responsibility. And um, that was one of only two chances I had to get her back, and I just didn't, didn't do it. Um, one of the probably four regrets in my whole life. Okay, and maybe at this point before everyone thinks... <laughs> That you really are the world's the lowest biggest, of the low. Uh, yes. What? I said the lowest of the low. I'm yes, so glad that's I let one you way to put it. Name. Okay. <laughs> um, why don't we do? Why don't, let's talk a little bit about how you got to this point. You know what happened in your life that um, that made these things happen. Okay. I don't. Uh, I, I will first tell you that I know it's become fashionable to blame your past on the way you behave. Um, In many instances, blame the way you were brought up or your parents on the way you turned out. Uh, That is more fashionable now than it used to be, especially among celebrities who always have a new story to tell about how terribly abused they were. Um, But before everybody decides to Google my Facebook page and write me very nasty things, um, I do want to preface it by saying that what I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't personally see as an excuse for my behavior. Well, now wait a second. Okay, I, we I know don't have you to use do. the word excuse. I know certainly, you do. I will take responsibility for having analyzed all of this in the Good. book, Good. Um, and having no question, but that um, it did. Uh, it was sort of the major. You know, I'm not saying it. I certainly didn't say it in the book as an excuse for you, right. but it's an explanation of. And you, um, you know, while you were telling me the story, also right. explained things very well. Um, when no one's trying to say that it's an excuse, it's just things that happened that made you right. more vulnerable to having two women fight for you and to having and to not trusting that your wife loved you enough to never abandon you. So, well, and, and listeners, you heard uh, it from the doctor's mouth. You can write her nasty things on her Facebook page. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Except now we have to take another break. So okay, people can write nasty things in the break. There you All go. Right. We're taking a break. We're talking with Ken Verana, who uh, has been a, a sitting duck for numerous bad girls. We're talking about the husband stealer, which is the first in his chronology, or one of the first. Uh, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, bringing you the second of my <laughs> sitting talks. Well, that's, that, Ken, that must sound terrible. But um, <laughs> the second of my of my shows where I bring you uh, live um, the man who I interviewed for my book, Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. Uh, Ken Verana, as I was saying before, has, has shared um, very generously uh, his stories about his re- relationships with sex sirens, husband stealers, and bad girls scorned, oh my, So we're talking um, today about his experience with the husband stealer who he encountered when he was in um, college. And and one of the moments, he was just sharing one of the moments that, you know, makes poignant moments that makes him feel really bad thinking and and that he continues to think about to this day. Um, So, okay, so there you were in uh, Washington and your wife, your, I guess, estranged wife at that time had come down to visit. You were both hoping to put it back together. I mean, this is what this, you should do a movie on this. This is one of those, you know, mo- <laughs> moments in a movie where uh, 
star-crossed lovers, you know, and everybody's rooting for you to each say, say it, say it, tell the other person I love you, you know. So tell us what it was within you, and we were starting to, about your childhood, and, and no, it's not an excuse, it's the truth, about your childhood that made you unable to say, to say it, to say how much you wanted her back. Well, I, I was adopted at birth, literally the day after I was born, I was adopted, um, my biological mom gave me up. Um, many, many years later, almost 50 years later, I did not only find her and brothers and sisters I didn't know I had on her side, but I found my biological father. Uh, they were long since no longer together and brothers and sisters on that side of the family. But um, I had been told by my birth parents uh, a, a long and fairly complex story about the fact that my Mother had died in childbirth, and my father had died during the war, which I completely believed, as you would when you were a young child. You Wait, know, you mean by your, that this was the story you were told by your adoptive parents? By my adopted parents, right? Yeah. And again, never questioned, especially as a young child. Um, but I always thought, even as a young child, what did I do that was so bad that would make a mother leave me the day after I was born? I obviously wasn't mature enough or sophisticated enough to understand that there might be any number of, of justifications, at least in her mind, to do this. Uh, even as I got older and I, of course, thought about the fact that maybe she wasn't able to take care of me financially and this and that, as a child, I still would think, you know, I wouldn't have cared if we'd lived in a car. Mm-hmm. I would have rather had you than had you give me up. And I think consciously or unconsciously, I always felt as if, A, I was not going to be good enough for any girl to stay around and to stay with, and perhaps, B, that that being the case, I always needed another girl in reserve. So if in this particular case that we've been discussing, my wife, who I loved more than life itself, uh, left me, I would have Cindy as backup. And also that, as I think Groucho Marx once said, or uh, or Woody Allen, I'm sorry, I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member. I thought that someone as wonderful as my wife could not possibly stay with me forever because I wasn't a good enough person. After all, my mother had dumped me. So that bond would certainly be stronger than a marriage. Um, How could I expect anybody else, especially somebody this wonderful? to stay with me. So I was protecting myself, I thought, um, by building this wall up around me. Yes, and also her father. There were issues with her father. Right, my mother's father. No, uh, no, um, oh, well, your my, wife's my father. My wife's father, yeah. My wife's father worked in the steel industry in Pittsburgh. He was, I guess what we would call these days, a real man's man. And he had very little use for me because he felt, since I was an artist, that I wasn't a man's man. Um, I detected more than a little bit of homophobia in him, although in those days I guess the term was not used as loosely as it is these days. But, you know, he did everything he could to keep the marriage from happening. When we did ultimately get married, none of her family came to the wedding. Hmm. Uh, And... You know, that has a greater effect on you than at the time I was like, the hell with it. If they don't want to come, then don't come. But it obviously took a toll on her because I guess most women dream about that big fancy wedding with everybody there and the, and the great dress and the great cake and everything. 
She never said anything about it the entire time we were together, but I'm sure that that was not her dream wedding, the, the one that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in my own way, it wasn't my dream wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family did show up. Uh, they loved her, loved her to death. And many years after she and I got divorced, I found out that she was continuing to spend a great deal of time with them, which was uh, uh, absolutely baffled me. I, I thought once we got divorced, that was the end of that, but they they were very close. And so to go back into your, I, I mean, you have this, there was that amazing story about your your adoptive parents were not the warmest parents in the world. And that story about your adoptive mother and what she used to do as a child. You remember telling well me about that? Well, it's, you know, about her having to go to Potter's Field, being poor. My adopted mom. Yes. Yep. Um, well, yeah, she was trying to be an actress at the time in New York City. Uh, no, her, her mother and father had separated, so her father was not around at that point. And her mother was actually a fairly well-known opera singer, so they no, moved. No, I mean the the, par- the the couple who adopted you. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. The couple who adopted me both had military background. They were both officers in the Air Force, and um, had come from very humble humble beginnings. My mother came from a coal mining family in Western Pennsylvania of ten children, and my father came from an immigrant family uh, in New York of uh, three sons. And both had kind of uh, been brought up to uh, be very self-reliant and had 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 some very horrendous experiences as young children themselves in terms of of doing things that these days you would never ask a young child to do to help keep the family going. And um, I think... Yeah, that's what I was referring to, that um, about your mother having to go through the... Field. Yeah, my mom uh, was... And your your adoptive mother, having... My, my adopted mother uh, was fairly early early on shuttled off to live with her grandmother, who was blind, uh, to take care of her grandmother. Uh, and in those days, kids didn't get to pick and choose where they were. Uh, and so she was estranged from her family, uh, at least in the sense of not living under the same roof. And because everybody was so poor in those days, if you didn't work in the mine... And there was uh, very little that her mother, her grandmother, could do because she was blind. They would, they had a job of walking the railroad tracks, picking up pieces of bodies of men who had fallen off the trains, who in those days were referred to as hobos, who were traveling from city to city looking for work and had fallen asleep on the train and underneath the train and fallen off and gotten run over, and collecting those limbs and taking them in a big wicker basket to the funeral parlor. Uh, for processing, I guess we can call it, you know, to, to be buried in a potter's field, which is not something that at age seven or eight, you know, a little child should be doing, but it, it made my mom tough pretty quick. And throughout her entire life, any show of emotion or weak or, or uh, uh, psychological sensitivity, if you will, she viewed as weakness. Uh, so she had fairly little use for my uh, highly emotional makeup, uh, and her attitude was just, I guess these days, what you would say is just suck it up or just be a man and, and you know, quit whining. Yes, yeah, so and, on the one hand, you had a mother who had given you up for adoption, and right. on the other hand, you had this adoptive mother who was rather, um, you know, who had this suck it up kind of attitude. Right. 
And, and you think, you know, and, and there's no reason to, to think this at all, but, but I tend to think that if someone wants a child so much that they are willing to go through everything required to adopt that child, mm-hmm. not only the physical process of, of what it takes to adopt a child, but also the commitment, the, the, the lifelong commitment to support that child, at least certainly till he or she is 18, that that they would invest more of their emotional selves in that child. But in my particular case, my parents, again, and we're talking about my adopted parents, both coming from such tough backgrounds and then immediately going into the military where toughness was a an admirable trait, it was as if they didn't know how to deal with a, ch- a young child who not only had their need, had needs and wants, but in my case, being a particularly artistic kid and wearing my feelings on my sleeve, as I alluded to earlier, um, they didn't know what to make of me. Mm. They, you know, they wanted a kid who was going to play football in high school and and you know be a man. And I, I just think I confused the hell out of them. Hmm. Yes, you were marching to a different drummer. Right? You bet. <laughs> Well, when we come back, we'll talk more with Ken Verana. We're talking today about sex sirens, husband stealers, and bad girls scorned. Oh, my. Well, actually, we, we, we've we been talking about the husband stealer in any case. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. 
Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I know we keep leaving you on, uh, what do you call it, you know, on, well, it's all fascinating moments. You just uh, have to come back and hear the rest. Uh, my guest is Ken Verano. We're talking about his bad girls and... Um, we were just at the point getting into his childhood and going back now full circle as to why with his wife, talking about the first bad girl, the the, the husband stealer who took him away from his good girl wife, um, why you weren't able to to ask her to take you back, to tell her that you want nothing more than to get back with her. You bet. Um, and I did want to mention to your listeners, during the break, you and I were discussing the possibility of people reaching out who may want to talk about some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel comfortable spelling my last name for them, they can certainly find me on Facebook. And uh, since it appears that I'm going to be coming back for a second show, it might be interesting to see what the feedback is. Yes, I will um, be happy to do that at the end. Great. So and, tell, and tell them that what I do now is, is mitzvah for all of the terrible things I've done in my life. Um, <laughs> Yeah, at one point, I had the opportunity, and going back to me having four things I would do over again in my life if I could, this is the second one. Uh, and that is that um, when I finally realized that I had probably made the biggest mistake in my life relative to my wife, I decided to um, call her and tell her I wanted to come back, or at least tell her I wanted to see her again uh, to talk seriously about what we could do to keep this going. And I inadvertently called my parents' number instead of her number, but uh, she answered the phone. And uh, I'll use a different name here, but I said, uh, Diane, and she said, Ken. And I said, isn't this my parents' number? I guess what it was is I was going to call them first and tell them, that I was going to ask her to come back. So that's yes, why I was calling. Paulette. In the book, it's Paulette. So go ahead. Yeah. And um, uh, I said, I thought I called my parents' number. And she said, you did. I'm here. And I said, what are you doing there? This was about two years after we had gotten our, you know, separated. So we weren't formally divorced yet. And she said, I come out here almost every weekend, out here being about 100 miles away from where she was in school. I, my parents lived on eastern Long Island. And I was trying to process all of that, and I said, well, I'm, I'm glad you picked up the phone. I said, I've done a tremendous amount of thinking about this, and I want to get back together. And my heart, of course, was racing because her phone number was the next phone call I was going to make after I told my parents because I knew they'd be happy. And she said, I don't think that's going to work. And, of course, this is the first since we had separated of her saying anything that suggested that she didn't want to get back together. And I said, why not? And she said, our divorce was finalized yesterday. Now, had I given it even five more minutes of thought, I would have, A, done everything I could to talk her out of that. Um, 
or at, le- or at least, you know, ask her to hang on. And I would have immediately driven to the airport, flown up there, which would have taken all of about 90 minutes, driven to my parents' house, and done everything I could to get her to change her mind, even if it meant, you know, physically remarrying her, et cetera, et cetera. And for reasons I have questioned, I don't know how many hundreds of times, I didn't. I spun it around, as men tend to do, and kind of made it her fault and basically said, well, you know, if you care that little, then I guess that's for the best, uh, and said goodbye. And, of course, uh, the tragedy is that she didn't care that little, that she was still madly in love with you as you were with her. I mean, yes, she was angry at you for having cheated on her, but right. she obviously still wanted to get back together, as you did. Right. And, um, and, and both of you were, too, were being too self-protective, too scared to be more vulnerable, and that's how this ended, and especially going back to the adoption, that you were afraid that this woman really, you were afraid to trust that she was still madly in love with you, and you were afraid that she was going to give you back, reject you, give you up like your mother had. And, and the proof of that, the further proof of that is about four or five years later, when she and my parents, I guess just out of necessity, separated a little I mean, she wasn't going out there all the time anymore. My dad <laughs> ran into her when he was in Manhattan. And, of course, simply the chances of running into somebody that you know in Manhattan is slim to none. But she ran, he ran into her, and he said, uh, Pauline, I guess is the name we're using, um, I can't believe it. It's you. And what are you doing? And, and on and on. And however it came about in the conversation, he said, hey, you know, who are you seeing? Did you get married again? Uh, and she said, no, I'm, I'm certainly dating people, she says, but I, I never got married again. And he said, why not? And he, she said, I never stopped being in love with Ken. Hmm. Uh, I just could not think about being married to anybody else. Well, when my dad told me the story, I said, did you get her number? <laughs> he goes, no, you know, you made your bed, now you have to sleep in it. It never occurred mm-hmm. to me that, that, that I should get her number, and she's entitled to move on with her life. You know, mm-hmm. you, you shouldn't try to re-inject yourself into her life. And I was furious with him, but, you know, that was the end of that. And, again, this is pre-Internet where you can fairly yes. easily find people. Pre-Facebook. Yeah, so I just threw up my hands, and, and she is on Facebook now, but she won't respond to me, so mm. <laughs> can I tell you? Well, okay. Well, as Ken, uh, as Ken hinted at, yes, we're going to have to have a part two of Sex Sirens, Husband Stealers, and Bad Girls Scorned, Oh My, with Ken, because we only got to one. We only got to the Husband Stealer, <laughs> and we don't want to miss the other ones, because those are equally... Uh, Equally, what, poignant, um, interesting uh, tales that um, we can all learn from. Um, well, I want to give it out. Saying what, you know, sounding like I'm trying to sell your book, it's a, it's a, I would generally not read a book like this. I guess this is the equivalent of somebody saying we're going to see a chick flick. Um, I don't know that on, on its face I would be a guy who would pick up this kind of book and read it. It was fascinating. Um, you know, not fascinating because of my stories, because I knew my stories, but fascinating about some of the other stories and finding myself going, what a dummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe he did that. Um, so I would certainly recommend it to, to men as well. I think it's a, it's a book a lot of people should be reading. Well, thank you. And your check will be in. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love the residuals. It's terrific. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, seriously. Actually, Ken... 
I have to tell you, I just did my first book signing uh, about a week ago at Barnes and Noble in Santa Monica, I and um, I asked people what you know what the types of bad girls they, they they voted on. I couldn't read you know stories from each right. of the chapters. So and so the first one that I read was your um, sex siren story, Penthouse Pet of the Year. So oh, next God. week when you come back on, we'll be telling that story. You'll be telling that story. I'll be analyzing you again. Okay. And um, I also wanted to um, mention that Ken um, is still fascinated with breasts, but he actually does it now in a more productive manner. He is the founder um, of a, char- a, a breast cancer charity. It's called www.1in8.org. I mean, that's the website. One in the number one in the number eight.org. You can look that up. You'll see on the uh, on the description show description how to spell his name, Ken Verana, V-R-A-N-A. If he's welcome to have you Facebook him, and uh, please Facebook me. Um, you go to on Facebook.com. Go to Ask Dr. Carol, Ask Dr. Carol, um, C-A-R-O-L-E, and um, add yourself, friend me, because I I'll be able to tell you about upcoming events as well as, you know, other things. And I, the two that I want to tell you about now is February 9th at 7 p.m. For those of you who live in L.A. or near L.A., I'll be doing another book signing at the Westwood Barnes & Noble, February 9th at 7. And then also there is the Conscious Life Expo on February 12th at the LAX Airport Hilton, where I'll be giving a talk about bad girls. So and and um, and yes, and check out the website too, badgirlsbook.com. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ken, for sharing this story yet again. It's um, well, know, and it's, Dr. It's, Carol, reach out to Charlie Sheen because this guy needs help. Yes, I know. I am actually. <laughs> Good for you. I am, and thank all you right. all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.